Hey, hey, friends, welcome to Think Out Loud with me, a chat cast produced, hosted, and humbly offered by yours truly, Natalie P., from my neck of the woods to you in yours. I'm taking full advantage of the universally accepted, irrevocable license to be curious, held by every single one of us, to engage others in constructive and enlightening communication. I want to think out loud with you, and maybe, just maybe, while I'm hunting down clarity, connection, community, and ultimately congruence in my own quirky way, I'll ignite your curiosity, nudge you to ask more questions and listen with an open mind, and let your life be an adventure you look forward to rather than one you might put on the back burner for someone else's version of you. I'd like that. I'd like that a lot. Holy moly, this is episode nine. Did I mention how much fun I'm having? Uh, For all of those times, I have thought to myself, gosh, I wish I could just mic you up and spread your magic. I am finally doing it and I'm finding my own voice in the process. My why is becoming very clear. I adore connecting with awesome people. It's pretty awesome and it's pretty obvious. I've got a thing for humans with beautiful brains. Brian Munoz is a human I took a particular liking to early last year, 2021, when I found myself pursuing a super badge, an admin, a salesforce.com admin super badge. What? You dang sure better know what you're up to to keep folks engaged in a salesforce.com admin super badge course. Brian and I hit it off pretty quick. We have stayed in touch and I've learned more about him. Uh, I've learned to appreciate Brian's magic. Brian thinks about data like my chef thinks about ingredients. His mind can see pathways and logic that for me take a lot of pictures and long explanations. I love to visit with him for his informed perspective on privacy, on the obvious and not so obvious stuff that is happening as we are all expressing ourselves virtually. Brian, welcome. We made it. I get to share your brain with the world today. I came to know you in an innocent little virtual class during COVID. Uh, Would you tell listeners first and foremost, all hush, introduce yourself. It's obvious why I adore you. Why should they? Hey, everyone. Thanks, Natalie, for having me on. I mean, it's it's crazy that we still haven't met in person, right? right? We still have been here in a virtual setting. So that's crazy to me. Uh, but I hope sometime soon we get to see each other in person, give each other hugs and stuff. Uh, but hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. Um, I think first and foremost, Natalie and I connected over curiosity. Um, and I want to say that even though I think about data privacy, I'm by no means an expert. Uh, I'm building my repertoire, but I am infinitely curious. And I think that's what led to this discussion. Um, I work at a major university and I manage progr- a graduate program um, in data science. And that's kind of how it all spawned uh, to think about data science and data governance. That's where I've kind of taken my little niche and uh, corner of the universe. Um, I'm also a consultant for nonprofit profits on data integration and data governance. And that's how this kind of conversation uh, came up. Mm -hmm. So glad to be here. I'm excited to have this conversation and see where it leads. Yeah, for sure. And so we were talking before we hit record really about um, the overlay of, you know, why in the world um, would Brian and Natalie get into a conversation around mental fitness? And the last time that we visited just casually, um, you know, thinking out loud about the, the mental part being where physical and emotional and all these things collide where, you know, you, you have this, you have an identity and that identity is something that, um, that we are self-aware we're working on self-awareness, we're working on self-management. 
there's now a virtual side to us. And you and I got into the con that concept of you know virtual fitness um, and keeping track of your of yourself. Um, so that's one side of things that I want a path I want to go down. Um, you know, like the, the guts of privacy and data. But first, how do you like as an intellectual pursuit? You know, this is what makes you. This is the the stuff that makes Brian tick. Um, how do you practice mental fitness? Are there particular, you know, in all the, all of the hullabaloo and the fast pace of what you do, um, how do you stay mentally fit? That's a really great question. I think it's been challenging for me. Um, I've like a lot of people I've gone through my bout of depression and I've actually, I went to therapy for a really long time. Uh, and I, I'm currently not going to therapy because, my whole thing and my whole journey with regards to mental fitness was to be self self-sufficient. I didn't want to rely on medication. I didn't want to, want to rely on having to go to someone to decompress or to talk about like the things that I'm, that I'm going through. I needed to build a tool set to kind of fortify my mental strength and how, you know, I was reacting to the world, um, the world outside. So I think this is a huge whirlpool of different, things that kind of came um, to fruition, you know, I was really obsessed with social media. And, you know, at some point, I wanted to get the likes and was doing it for the gram as as uh, people say these days. And that led to a lot of toxic behavior, I wasn't dealing with a lot of uh, generational trauma. And, um, you know, just a lot of emotional awareness that I didn't have. Um, you know, I, I, I grew up not having emotional resilience. Um, and it wasn't thankfully until my wife really came into my life that it really pushed me to want to be a better person. And I give her a lot of credit for sticking by me because I know that a lot of relationships fail because your partner doesn't necessarily support you or doesn't want to have to deal with the baggage that people carry sometimes. Uh, but sometimes those are our opportunities lost. Um, and so she really pushed me to want to go to therapy and deal with a lot of the baggage that I was carrying. And so I went to therapy for a really long time. I had medications because I just couldn't regulate my emotions. I was going back and forth. Now I've gone into a stage where I feel really healthy in my mind. Um, I still have the gaps in focus, but the coping mechanisms or the techniques that I really use um, are to stay present. Um, I think that has been one of the areas where um, I give a shout out to to someone that I follow on YouTube, uh, Matt Diavala. He does a whole lot of uh, self-improvement and, and uh, great techniques. And he did a he did an episode on meditation and being present. Meditation never really worked for me. I couldn't just stay seated for about five minutes, but honing in and staying focused and being present um, has really helped me kind of deal with a lot of the the emotional regurgitation that comes up in our day-to-day. -day. Or mm -hmm. sometimes when I get triggered, I remind myself to come back to the present. And I think that has been my pillar of strength over the last couple of years and mm -hmm. how I, I stay mentally fit. Um, I just did a triathlon this weekend and um, that it, it's a sprint triathlon, so let's not get carried away. But for me, it was a really big achievement because I'm still a heavier set person, you know? And so for me to have that 
mental resilience, even though I wanted to quit or I was in pain while I was running, like I knew that staying in the present and finishing the task was much more important than where I'm at right now. You know, I'm going to constantly improve. And I think that's one of the things that um, we need to do better at is we're, we're okay. You know, we're okay with, uh, you know, our daily lives. We make small improvements and we just got to take it a day at a time and not, you know, bang ourselves up against the wall because we didn't achieve our goal that we wanted or set a timeline and we didn't quite achieve it. Right. As long as you keep moving forward, that that's what's important. Yeah, for sure. No, thank you for all of that um, perspective. I, uh, and for sharing even just as transparently as you have, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, we are all um, we are all humor, humor, we are humorous. That's for sure. We're humans, humorous humans and, and taking it too seriously can get you, um, down a rabbit hole pretty quickly. Um, knowing how to, I think you touched on a couple things, resiliency, recovery time, you know, that, that the world itself is going to come at you. It just is that's life. Right. And I sound cliche. So many of my interviews, you know, you hear the cliche parts of it until it just is what we have to be able to deal with life. I'm not going to preach sunshine and rainbows falling out your yeah. rear end the whole time. I would like to preach that you can get to a place that feels comfortable where you're not being feeling like you're being assaulted mm -hmm. by life. I mean, that's preferable. Yeah. So it's not about toxic positivity so much as it is about toxic resiliency. And if yeah. folks, if folks want to argue that there's too much resilience, okay, well, I'll, I'll go over, I'll go next door. We'll have a conversation <laughs> next door, right? Yeah. Something that struck me while you were, while you were thinking out loud is that, um, managing mental fitness, you know, and, and trying to maintain, um, perspective is even harder with algorithms and data and privacy playing games with us. Um, and, you know, folks talk about taking a tech break. Yeah. You quite, I mean, and they say, yeah, yeah, I know. I need to have less screen time. We get alerts about it. Mm -hmm. um, but it really is critical this, that a mental fitness plan inside it somewhere has time completely away from the screen that sits in between you and I right now. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's really important for people to do. And I can only speak to how I implemented that into, into my, my life and how I got into this whole data privacy area outside of my profession. Cause I think my profession in itself lends itself to data, but it doesn't dive into data privacy or data governance. That kind of came afterwards and understanding what data is all about, understanding how your data integrates with the world around you. And so going back to that mental fitness, um, like I was saying, I was, I was really into Instagram. I take a lot of photographs and I wanted to be a photographer to be published on National Geographic or, you know, a major publication just to have one picture out there. And my pictures have been picked up by a few publications um, that have been small, but I've been really grateful that I do have an eye for it. But I was really obsessed with chasing the likes and you know, I would try different filters or I would edit. And my photos, mind you, are not about me or those around me. It's purely architectural landscape 
um, photography. And so, you know, really try to captivate the emotion that I felt uh, when I was when I was taking the picture. And I was so obsessed with it. I was always on Instagram looking to see when was the next like or who was the next like and that that person share it I was really obsessed with the analytics behind it and this was quite a few years ago then um I was like everybody else doom scrolling on Instagram and um Netflix was on and this preview for a documentary came on and it's a documentary called The Great Hack I recommend everybody go watch it by David Carroll David Carroll <clears throat> is a professor of media and design um, at the New School, and he did a phenomenal job on talking about data privacy and how data impacts our daily life. And I was curious. So I started watching the documentary, and it talks about the 2016 election and how these algorithms impact our emotions and our daily life. That's what really got me set on data privacy. And it wasn't, you know, like day and night, like I watched his documentary and the next day I was like all obsessed with data privacy. It was a gradual change because when you listen to the documentary and you go through his experience about trying to get his own data from Facebook and from uh, the social media company, um, he has a really difficult time. He doesn't own his data. And you don't quite comprehend that impact until you start seeing it be trickled into all the different areas uh, of your life. And so that's really what what set me on the data privacy route. And ever since then, you know, I've been following him. I've been following several others. Uh, I've been reading other publications on data privacy leaks. I mean, uh, our employer was uh, was party to a breach, um, the Acilian breach in January, you know, and so we have very little recourse of action of what we can do outside of getting, you know, a one year subscription to a credit monitoring service, right? So why was this breached? How did this get breached? Like, what other options do we have to control our data and what necessarily needs to get stored in and doesn't need to get stored, right? Um, the EU does a really great job on privacy laws. You know, they're they're definitely the leaders in that. California has their own privacy laws that, you know, try to mirror a lot of what uh, EU has to say. But we're still, we still lag behind in, in data privacy rules and, and regulations. What's amazing to me listening, I'm taking massive notes because my brain's going a million miles a minute, is, you know, we've got this. I just had a good friend get hacked over the last couple of days and uh, she's the second one in so many weeks and the stress associated with it has been enormous. Like she is yeah. freaking out and I'm thinking, you know, we've had such the, the rapid escalation and, and the transformation of information. It's like we're regulating in reverse, right? It's like we're reverse engineering these these rules as as the hacks happen. We patch and, you know, it's like Lucille Ball mm -hmm. at the switchboard. She's like, Shit, it's coming. Here comes the water yeah. over there. Right. Um, and so, you know, for those of us that don't have you know, the, 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 pro the prowess that you do, I mean, it's, 
it would stress you out to get hacked. I don't mean it yeah. that way. Um, the, a, a lay person has no idea how much is out there. They have no idea how many permissions are granted. It's just a way of life until it's like somebody gets your credit card number and then you're drained and then you go through it. So my point is we haven't had the opportunity in the internet age, um, this concept of going upstream and having to think, how do I protect myself for crap to happen um, when I don't even understand the crap that's going to happen, um, that it's still so overwhelming, the data of it, and it's moving so fast. Where does a layperson, where does Natalie like even start with trying to manage myself and, and not have a completely stressed out, freaked out, clear my bank account situation on my hands? Yeah, that's a really great question because I had the same question and I started to get to reading and I actually went to scholarly articles first um, and that took me down the rabbit hole. Then I started going into like people's social socials or LinkedIn profiles that were more professional in nature. Had they authored any articles on major publications? And that just kind of continued, continued on. Um, some of the best practices um, that I've kind of undertaken is, for example, in order to protect my digital footprint and keep my digital footprint separate from my financial accounts and my financial credits is I have a separate email that I don't email from. I have like zero accounts are connected to that email. And that email, I have like a written password that I, I still change every every two months. Um, that has my in, my financial information. So it's not connected to any that's of brilliant. social profiles. So for me, I think that's like a really simple way to protect your financial accounts from any potential hack, because if you're not using that to sign up for newsletters, if you're not using that to, you know, sign up for anything, you know, it's it's kind of just living in the internet. And as long as you have that particular one protected and you don't, you know, the chink in the armor is if you connect this to the main email that you use, right? Like this email, it's its own thing. Meaning that if you forget its password, like you're, you're kind of sitting in a dump, right? So you have to really... Be careful with that. Um, do the dual factor um, uh, integration so that you get that notification on your phone. Do everything that you can within that privacy scheme to separate your accounts. That is a very, very simple way to keep it kind of separate. Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing is something that I've learned um, actually recently, <clears throat> and there's an article online and I was trying to find it uh, before our call, um, but data privacy is now seeping into insurance, right? And so you think your insurance companies are, you know, looking out for your best interests, but really they're trying to make money. So we have a few insurance companies and I won't name them by name, um, but that are tracking you via your phone. So you've given them permission by installing them into your phone. There's no current federal regulation or law, not even the California privacy law protects against this, but when you install that application, that insurance application, whatever it may be for whatever company, they now have access to your geolocation using your maps. They also have your speed, 
what speed you're going to um, driving, how recklessly you're driving because of the mobility in your phone sensors. Um, and they use that to either give you discounts because you're a safe driver or to surcharge you because you are driving recklessly. Now, there is um, some uh, a bill that's currently on the table, but it currently hasn't had any traction um, thus far. But that's the extent to how much your data is being involved in your life. So even if you do some of the, the things that, that I suggested, keeping it separate, it still lives in your phone. So I've actually started weaning off relying on my financial data on my phone. It becomes like a huge major inconvenience, right? Because, you know, we've been indoctrinated to be convenient, to do a one tap go to purchase or to do something. But in reality, we're giving so much to these companies for free. I'm I'm of the opinion that we should get some sort of compensation or some sort of dividend uh, for our data usage. I don't mind that it's being used to create better products. I mean, that's how innovation is. But if my data is actively being being used, then I want to cut up the pie, mm. right? Um, so that's how I see it and how I try to see like, okay, this is where my data is being used. This is how my data is being integrated. A lot of these social media platforms are using the input that the consumer gives in order to create products, right? In order to innovate and capture your attention for a longer period of time. And I'm guilty of it too. I'm not perfect. You know, I doom scroll, you know, I have those bouts with social media still to this day, but it's a lot less than before for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Well, and the concept that, you know, the data um, as much as we've worked the, the algorithms and the data to, um, feast on, on our insecurities and our what ifs and our FOMOs and, you know, everything else, um, that there are folks in the world who are trying, if we can create that behavior, we can also create good behavior, yeah. right. And we can undo, uh, in some cases we can undo, the effects of hardcore algorithms that are set to capitalize on insecurities and FOMO and all of that, right? Have you, what's your experience in that? I mean, and your, or your, do you, have you ever had any touch in that field or what's your thoughts on that? Like the, the con, the good side of data, we talk about all the bad, like there's good stuff out there happening. Yeah. Um, well, good is 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 that the, the beholder, is that the right? term? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> same thing with with bad. I, bad is on the eye of the beholder, right? As it relates to data, there there's clearly morally wrong things, and there's also good things. But sometimes they're so in between that that you don't you can't really say it, right. From one perspective, like thinking about um the midterm elections, Planned Parenthood is is investing so much money into advertising against. Um, conservative wing, right? From my perspective, that's good. Data is being used for good. But if we try to step back, is that morally correct? Should we be giving organizations that amount of power to influence um, how people are going to be voting through advertising based on the data that are collecting, right? So it's how you see it, how you view it, that you start to think like, oh, okay, 
I don't necessarily have the moral high ground. I also don't have that moral authority to say this is absolutely good or this is absolutely bad, right? Mm -hmm. um, all these companies set out to do something good, but they also lost themselves along the way. Mm -hmm. um, I think if you're looking at examples of data for good, it's really at a, a very micro level, you know, using data to detect cancer early in patients, using um, image, uh, image analysis to understand how these patterns of cancers grow um, in a human being and try to identify that early. Um, you know, another good one that I haven't seen publicly widely available, but would be, you know, trying to prevent another um, uh, Oh my goodness. Um, what's that oil spill? BP Exxon oil Valdez. Spill? Uh, something Horizon. Oh dear. Yeah. I suck it. I can't remember it, but you know, trying to prevent oil spills yeah. because you yeah. just don't have the resources to inspect all of them, you know, human beings to inspect all of them. So using data to try to prevent these type of issues from happening. Um, you know, bringing other species back to life, you know, so there's a lot of ways data is inherently good, but it's also, you know, when we think of good, you know, one of the things that was coming out of, of like, um, of mass shootings and stuff is, was investing into mental health, right. And using, you know, apps like better help and everything mm -hmm. like that, which is great. Right. But now let's flip it on its head. Okay, so you identify candidates who have better help on their apps, but now you're trying to identify even further who is potentially a mass shooter, right? What if you're identified as a mass shooter and you're not identified as a mass shooter, right? To what point does surveillance and um, infringing on your own freedom, you know, stop from being good, right? We, I think we can all agree mass shooting is terrible. It is horrible. Gun should stop. But you also have to think about the unintended consequences of collecting so much data and what they can be used for in its applications. So we can agree that we need to stop this, but that then leads to other things. So let's let's do a little sidestep. Right. Now companies and states are trying to get data from users' phones to see who is getting an abortion right. Right, in red and conservative states. So see how that that all is starting to become less, uh, more and more gray and less yeah. black and white. Um, so even though you hardly you you believe so much in a cause and wanting to fix it, sometimes that solution can be flipped on his head and be used for something bad. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's mm -hmm. what data gives us, especially because it it's non tangible. It, it is. I mean, it, to some extent, it's tangible, but it's it's still an intangible asset mm -hmm. uh, that's floating around in the sky, and it takes people to, you know, process and give to process it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And and in the blink of an eye, but you know, I think about the headline. Google has has generously uh, uh, um, offered to erase your searches that you've had for abortion services, mm -hmm. and everybody says. Oh, I didn't even realize you could do that. Thanks, yeah. I guess. Wait, crap. If they can like fill in the blank, right? And I don't yeah. think anybody realized it, you know, like, oh, so from a day's notice, with a day's notice, the entire thing can and will be held against you, right? Yeah. And, and 
that is something there is, I think when we first started into the internet thing of, you know, the, the slide into information age, there was this, um, I remember being panicked about, you know, you cover the ATM and you hide these kind of mm -hmm. things and you, you know, you don't, and the, the, the wallet kind of thing that still happens, yeah. I think. Um, but there was this growth of this mindset that, you know what, I don't care. They're watching me anyway. I like, they're going to know everything. I'm just going to let it happen. And I admit I'm one of, I was, I've been one of those folks where I'm like, I can't control all this shit. Yeah. This is out of control. Right. And so um, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But I think more and more, um, as it becomes clear that we have, there's this very intimate, uh, interaction with interactive, um, everything that we do have to be mindful of because mm -hmm. it can literally change our minds. Yeah. I mean, I think thinking about like privacy and how much data is being collected, uh, let's go back a little further and let's talk about Edward Snowden. Edward Snowden, you know, was a whistleblower for NSA and talked about the surveillance that was happening after 9-11, right? Whether you agree with him politically or not, whether you think he is a criminal and a spy or you think he's a patriot and he should be brought back home, like that is irrelevant. So the, the relevant point here is data is being collected. You know, the DHS is collecting millions of data points or hundreds of data points, and it only takes about 32 bits to identify who you are without identifiable information. They can narrow it down so much they can identify who you are just by surrounding data points, right? Which is kind of scary to think about. And it's it's easy to just say, to hell with it. Like they're tracking me anyway. Like I'm not doing anything wrong, right? But our philosophy as a country is to have freedom. So where does government oversight and uh, overreach infringe on those freedoms, right? Um, and so, you know, you can take one path or the other and be hardcore privacy or, you know, I don't care. I'm not doing anything mm -hmm. wrong. But I think you have to be informed about how you're consuming data. You know, you don't have to go to the lengths of, oh, I'm going to buy a burner phone and I'm going to do all this. Right. right? Um, but <clears throat> being mindful of how your data is being shared. I think it's even more important for women to understand what data is being shared, especially since their their rights to abortion have been so infringed on uh, by the overturn of Roe v. Wade, right? There's a lot of ways how the phone is being tracked, what is being consumed, right? Um, Facebook just turned over, I, I think it was in um, Nebraska, uh, mm -hmm. gave over information to the prosecutor's office in private chats, right? So now you have to start thinking about like, okay, well, my iMessages is insecure or, you know, Apple says it's encrypted, but how how encrypted is it? And I think I shared on LinkedIn, I think you, you mm -hmm. saw that the FBI's level of security that each of the messaging services provides, Signal by far is the most protective in, um, in exchanging messages. So if you're getting to that point and you're really concerned about what you're sharing, then, you know, you might want to consider some of these services. Um, <clears throat> so again, it's really considering where this information lives and how it's being used. And it's also on the corporation's responsibility side to start thinking about how they're going to be consuming and reporting on this data. I think I told you that I was consulting in this organization and uh, they were 
violating all kinds of information, um, you know, privacy laws, HIPAA laws and stuff. And it comes from an older generation where there's like, well, this is information we share. Like, what are you talking about? Right. But having to educate them and go through the change management and get their buying and understanding that data is important and it's something that needs to be protected. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they they come to see and understand like, okay, this is important. Let's make sure that we're we're up to par with everything that we need to do. Mm-hmm. What about there's also just the data out there that's being used to make judgments about you right um in a in a hiring situation in networking situations in you know um and this concept that you know you could have a whole nothing really is private anymore and it really does um me you know it does mean you need to take a minute and round up your stuff and make sure that it's in order, um, just as much as you would your own, you know, personal belongings, your passport and this, that, and the other. So mm-hmm. I think if, if anything, the takeaway for me, um, just visiting with you today is, you know, that, well, I think it's always been since I started visiting with you that the concept, you know, this, this tangible data zeros and ones, and its ability to affect change in our behaviors without us even knowing it, without us even knowing that we're being manipulated. Um, And it's not to set off alarms and make things, you know, not so crazy, but it's, it's a fact, it is a fact of life, bad information, misinformation, hackers, spammers, you know, the whole nine yards, you're likely to have your account drained or have somebody run up a few charges. Now it just is, you know, it is part of the game, but there are things, um, that we, we just need to be doing to, to protect ourselves and our sanity. It's, it really is part of playing into just staying in one step ahead of being taken advantage of. Yeah, I think one of the skills that we need to develop as people in general is go back to our critical thinking days and Uh and think about what exactly it is that we're consuming. You know, again, without any political affiliations, but where you consume your information is really important and how to discern whether that's being, you know, spun to be more on your side or the other side or whatever it is, you you have to really be judicious in how you consume that information. And sometimes, and I can see how this like toxic misinformation, you know, happens. Um, You know, I took an exercise uh, recently and trying to test my own critical thinking and I signed up and I'm not going to divulge like who I signed up for or whatnot, but I signed up for political beliefs that I didn't believe, but I wanted to understand how this happens. Right. Um, And so something that's important to note is I come from a Latino background. I'm from an immigrant background and I wanted to understand how campaigns did so well in Florida, uh, primarily amongst the Latinos and how that was a disparity 
um, to what was conventionally thought. And I'm, I know I'm talking in, in vagueness, but if you're into the politics, you will understand. Um, and so I wanted to understand these concepts. And so I signed up for a lot of the, those uh, um, uh, political beliefs that I don't assign to you. And it gets you. Like if you're not judiciously, critically thinking, or you're not going through this exercise intentionally trying to understand where the other side is coming from, it's easy to fall into the rabbit hole. And you start getting these sentiments, emotional sentiments that you are like, oh, that, that kind of makes sense. And then there's another leap in judgment and another one and another one to the point where you don't recognize that point in judgment. I think uh, uh, to bring this kind of point home is if you're looking at the sentencing for um, the January 6th insurrection, you know, a lot of these family members of the people who committed this act are saying like, this, this isn't my family member. This isn't who I know. This isn't who I, I, I respect. Like they, they took it too far. And they talk about how this transition was gradual and happened months and months before. So putting into context, yes, all of these media companies, even the the ones you think are impartial, are always putting something forward, right? That's a little bit more of a flavor to what they like, right? They have the money and power to do so. But you as an individual need to be a critical thinker and try to discern what is fact from fiction mm -hmm. or what is being stretched more than it needs to be, mm -hmm. right? Um <clears throat> just recently, I think I also posted on LinkedIn that I was being cynical about how I didn't think that we were in a recession. I'm not a financial person. So I, you know, for me, it's easy to be an armchair expert and be like, I don't think we're in a reception recession. You know, I do experience inflation. Hell yeah, I'm experiencing mm -hmm. that. But a recession, I don't quite see it. And we're seeing a lot of these companies reorg, rechange their structure and lay people off. Now, think of it from a business standpoint, if you need to do that, and you've been seeing the writing on the wall, do you want to do that after a recession or when something is, you know, in the, in, in the world that you can kind of pin it on, right. And say like, Oh, it's a pass. Know, it, it, it's a, it's a recession. Like we're, we're cutting down because we've grown too fast. Right. Mm -hmm. Had there not been talks of a recession, would companies be cutting jobs? Right. We don't know. I mean, it's easy to speculate, right? But, um, you know, that's that's the cynical part of me. Um, I do think that we're going through an economic woe. How much and how uh, how will it impact us? I don't know. I'm, you know, I try to follow the news and try to follow as closely as I can and try to discern, but I can only do what I can as an individual. Mm -hmm. And um, that is what we should be focusing on, mm -hmm. is focusing on what we can do as individuals um, to understand the information that's around us, understand the the information that we're consuming and what we're reacting to. Because mm -hmm. um, I think these companies have definitely used our emotions. And as you know, it's very easy to persuade someone when you have a hold of their emotions. Mm -hmm. So that's my take. That's my, that's, I agree. I hear you loud and clear and, and agree loud and clear. And uh, it is, you know, the where we have landed in this digital space kind of post COVID, um, has, has some discomfort about it. It's made some incredible, uh, it's made incredible advances in connectivity and things getting done, 
um, you know, meetings happening in the blink of an eye and money moving around faster to support people than, you know, um, the good, the bad and the ugly of data. It's, it's with us and we need to, we need to stay, um, cognizant and even proactive, um, diligent about it. I don't think, I think we're in the first baby steps of learning how to do that. So, yeah, you're a, you're a chapter ahead. And that's part of why I, um, adore you is that it is you, you know, for you, this is your, this is your love. This is your why this I can, you know, I see the intellect just, it's like your brain, just, um, the user experience, the, the information pathway, the customer pathway, all of these things that we get to lead ourselves down that you build, um, is very real out there in the world happening to us on, in a, on a constant basis, sometimes in parallel with six or seven apps going at all at once. Right. Yeah. So, um, will you come back and visit with me and, yes, and think I'd out loud to. with me about, yeah. I think there's a lot of things, um, coming down the pike, you know, over the next several months that are going to be pretty curious to watch with, with data and, um, the way that, that folks are moving, uh, and, and sentiment, you know, tracking the sentiment and seeing, well, if you, if they, like you're saying, well, you've got, you've got this on the front end of it and it looks like a, but have you really talked about B, C, D, you know, all the, all of these different perspectives. Um, I would love to continue to, to think out loud with you about this stuff because it is very important to our mental fitness being a step ahead of it and not letting the shit get to us. Um, yeah, I think it goes back to what I said is just being present, um, mm -hmm. and bringing it to, to your center. Uh, it's difficult. It's easy to get consumed and be like doom and gloom. Like the world's going to end. Like we're having so many issues. That's as an individual, it's out of your control. Collectively, we need to do something together to address those issues. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you're sitting with yourself, you're living with yourself, right? And you need to be present and and live your life to the best that you can mm -hmm. uh, and be judicious in that. So mm -hmm. uh, I think bringing it front and center and being present and with, the, with those that you care about and trying to be a critical thinker. Yeah. Right. For sure. Like yeah. it can all, it can all be done. All of this stuff can be done for us, but we still need to be the humans making the connections and making the decisions that are informed. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm glad I have you to, to call with questions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> knowing it's knowing people, you don't know people, uh, you don't have to be the genius on the data. You just know all the data geniuses and that's, um, I consider you uh, a big part of, of, um, I just am fascinated with the way your mind works and I appreciate you sharing it with me Yeah, no problem. folks that are listening. So, um, and if, if given the chance, let's do, um, I've, I've, uh, started this podcast with the intent of empowering people to ask questions, um, to think out loud about ways, you know, even it, the, the politics is the obvious thing, you know, why are things happening the way that they're happening? It, it may be annoying to some, and I wish it would all just go away. Um, it's fascinating to others to see really how this world is, is, is shaken out and how we can play, um, apart from a safe place. Yeah. Not over-medicated, 
not overstretch, you know, just that there is a place for all of us in this big world. And, and, um, that data is a big part of, um, of managing, you know, our daily lives. And so thank you again. I appreciate you. Of course. No, thank you for having me. Bye everyone.